Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Scripture reading will be from Luke 2, 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Um, And I'm going to read our prayer for today. This is a communal prayer, so I'm going to ask you to read along as I uh, read this along as well. So, Lord Jesus, master of both light and darkness, send your Holy Spirit upon our preparation for Christmas. We who have seen so much to do, see quiet spaces to hear your voice each day. We who are anxious over many things look forward to your coming among us. We who are blessed in so many ways long for the complete joy of your kingdom. We whose hearts are heavy seek the joy of your presence. We are your people, walking in darkness yet seeking light. To you we say, come Lord Jesus. And at this point, kids K through five for a billion bonus points, you can leave for your classrooms. Thanks. All right, good morning. So listen, we are in our third week of Advent, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Advent. I know John did a nice job there. I want to jump right into the joy. And the reason I want to jump into it, because I think we have a really bad view of what joy means. So I wanted to play a commercial, but then there's some copyright, and if we put it on the live stream. But in 2022, Amazon had this slogan, and they did this commercial where this little girl walked around with her snow globe all the time. And the dad, you could tell he was getting frustrated, So he finally decides he's going to recreate it, and he buys this paper shredder from Amazon, and he shreds all this paper, and in their greenhouse, he puts the lights, and he recreates the snow globe. And this girl's just in awe, and you can tell that they're trying to embrace joy. And the slogan slogan from Amazon was, joy is made. Kind of catchy, but what does that say about joy? And so I, I jump into my handy-dandy Webster's Dictionary, which I don't have one anymore because it's all online, and my, uh, my eight-year-old said, hey, Dad, do we have a dictionary? I was like, oh, we don't. It's all online. So I want to read the definition from Webster's on what they say joy. This is here how, listen to how they define it. Joy is the experience evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Let that sink in. Let me say it one more time, all right? This is Webster's definition of joy. They define it as the experience evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing 
one desires. I, I hope, like me, I hope we can find a lot of flaws in that definition. And I think that's why Amazon tries to be catchy and say that joy is made. And I, and I think about, there are so many people that are rich, they're successful, they've been done well in their jobs, they have great relationships, uh, maybe they have lots of different possessions, but they're not happy, they don't have joy. Uh, we have a special guest today, Josh Peace, who, who works for Sunika. He's here in-house from Nicaragua. And if you, ever, if you had the opportunity to be in Nicaragua, you, ha- you'll, you go, and I love going with the youth group, because when you go there, you see kids that don't have anything. And all of our youth are like, hey, they don't have a switch, or they don't have a cell phone, but they're happy. They have joy. And again, that's why I think we have this flawed view of what joy is. We're like Webster's, where we want it to be possessions or materials or success. As a parent, I see my kids have this false sense of joy. We just celebrated two birthdays. My little girl just turned five, which is really hard to believe. My middle is now seven, so the kids are growing up fast. And they have this desire that they're like, I want this toy, this object. And my wife and I are constantly trying to coach them, you can get that, but that toy is going to break. Or you're going to get bored and tired of it. But if I look at Webster's definition, that desire for that toy is joy. And that, to me, makes joy very cheap. Makes it meaningless, and really it's not worth pursuing. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about what is Christian joy? What what should our view of joy be? And I want to do that through three main points. My first one is this. Joy is not based on our circumstances. Number two, our sorrow should push us to find our joy in the presence of Jesus. And yeah, we will have sorrow. And number three, joy helps us to persevere despite our circumstances and our sorrow. So that's what I want to work us through as we look through the gospel to see what is joy. So with that, I'm going to pray really quick. So God, I thank you for an opportunity to speak. I pray that you silence me, that you speak through your word today. That it would be joy to your ears what we say and what we sing and how we worship. And God, that you would just be glorified in this time. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so I did say in the beginning I want to talk about Advent. All right, Advent in the Christian sense refers to the four-week season remembering and celebrating the arrival of Jesus on earth. And I love the Bible Project. They have some great videos. If you check out their YouTube or I think they're on social media as well. Um, But the Bible Project says this about Advent. It says, it is a time to reflect on the unexpected nature of Jesus' humble birth, and the join in anticipation of when he will come again to reunite heaven and earth once and for all. So I think with that mindset, right, of thinking of the reflection of what Jesus has done and what he will do. And so we've talked, we've had two weeks now. The first was right after Thanksgiving, and Ken talked to us through hope. And then last week, John talked to us through peace. And if I had to summarize both of those messages, I would say this, that our hope and our peace is only found in Jesus. Nothing else in this world will give us the hope and peace that Jesus does. That's how I would summarize those. And John last weekend is talking about peace. He said our peace is not based on our circumstances. And I think that's a great place for us to dive into today. So I don't use the word joy a lot. It's not my daily vocab. There's a lot of other words I use, maybe happiness or gladness, maybe. But I don't really use joy. And so that's really why I was excited about this sermon, and 
God's revealed a lot of aspects. That first one, the first point is joy is not based on our circumstances. So I know this goes against what Amazon says that joy is made, and it goes against the Webster's Dictionary. So if we look at the biblical meaning of joy, here's what we're going to find. There's a Greek word called kara. It's C-H-A-R-A, kara. What that means is joy. And it's often used to describe ones who rejoice and who are glad. So what's really, really cool is if you dig into this Greek, if you add the I-S at the end of it, so you get charis, it means gift or grace. So right away from just looking at the language, when we look at that light, that lens, we realize that joy is a gift from God. It's not from our circumstances. And you can see that throughout the Bible. And so we had them, we read Luke chapter 2. And I know it's the Christmas story and everyone loves it, but I don't think we take time to really think about it. The fact that this host of angels appears to shepherds. Shepherds were pretty low in society. They were considered outcasts. Now, I read, I read one commentary where he's like, well, he tried to argue that they weren't, but most historians say they are, so we're going to go with that. Majority think that the shepherds were outcasts. They were low, and God has angels appear to them first. And what's amazing about this is when the angels come to these host of shepherds who are low, their circumstances are not good, right? They're in the middle of the night watching sheep. The angels don't say, hey, your circumstances are changing, or you're going to, have, you're going to become successful, or we're going to give you better jobs. They didn't say any of that. What they said is that we bring good news of great joy. And what I love is the shepherds, they're given this news, and they have an opportunity. They can either hold it in themselves and say, oh, that's cool, great, but we're still outcast. We're still nobody. We have not made our success, so how do we make joy? But instead, the shepherds go and they seek out Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And they tell, they tell what they heard and what they saw, and then they go around and they tell everybody. Like, we have news of joy and we want to share it with you. They weren't looking to keep it to themselves. They weren't looking to make it themselves successful. They went and told everyone about this thing that had happened. So I read this quote more from the Bible Project, and they talked about this. And they said that the joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. And I share that quote because, to me, I look at the shepherds, and they adopted this attitude of joy. Their circumstances didn't improve. Their jobs, their careers, their social status stayed the same. They adopted an attitude of going and sharing joy. And it helps us realize that joy is more than a feeling. Joy, this doesn't change their circumstances, but they embrace it. Which really begs the first question of, do we view joy as an attitude or a posture that we adopt? And I'll be honest, I had never thought about it this way until I prepared for this message. And that's the, the fun thing about when you do these messages, God you, often works and whoever gets the chance to teach um, pretty humbling. And I think it's humbling because that thinking is so countercultural. Society says, go make your own joy. Be successful. You'll find happiness. If you get this thing, that's what our commercials do. I went down a rabbit hole and saw that a lot of these commercials, they're now hiring psychologists and professors that study happiness because they're trying to invoke an emotion in us because we think if we get this thing, it'll give us joy. 
you know, if I'm going to really be vulnerable here, and as I think more about the shepherds, often I catch myself wanting to have a host of angels come and remind me of God's joy. I feel like it'd be easier if I were out one day and then these angels appear and they remind me. Yet I know it's not going to happen, right? I don't see a host of angels coming. And I think that's because God gave us his word. He gives us his word. And he gives us Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want to turn from our passage in Luke and I want to go into John chapter 16. And if you have your Bible, you can turn. We'll have it on the screen. And as you're turning there, there's a couple of questions I realized that I needed to ask myself in preparation for this. And the first one is, do I truly believe that God is in control of my circumstances? And then from there, do I want God to be in control of my circumstances? And I think that's the issue. Is I don't want God to be in control, and I don't always believe that he is in control of my circumstances. Which really pushes into the second point that sorrow, our sorrow, should push us to find our joy in the presence of Jesus. So the reason I want to look in John chapter 16 is this. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's going to talk to them about joy. And what I love is going on, let me set the scene here. So he's talking to his disciples, and he's saying, hey, you see me now, in a little bit you're not going to see me, and then you'll see me again. Now, I think it's easy. I've been like, oh, man, these disciples are idiots. They need the... They should know what Jesus is talking about. Then I realized that I had the Bible, and it's a lot easier for me to understand it. They're hearing it, and Jesus is basically saying, I am going to die, so you see me now, I'm going to die, and then you'll see me again. And they're not getting it. They're not processing it. And so in verse 20, it says this, truly, truly. So anytime Jesus says truly, truly, you should probably listen. It's him saying truth. And this is what he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn the joy. I want to pause there real quick because I love, Jesus is not saying that being a Christian, it will be easy. He's saying we will have sorrow. Not that you may, but that we will have sorrow. And he's saying, and he's not saying that we're going to have good circumstances. Jesus instead is saying that we should expect to have pain and sorrows. And he doesn't set a false narrative for us. He lays it out. And he continues on. He gives us this amazing analogy. It says this in verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers anguish for a joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have been asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And here's what I love about this analogy. So I've had the opportunity to watch my amazing wife give birth to all three of our kids. And I get to brag about it real quick. So our first son was 10 pounds, two ounces. Our second was a week early. He was nine pounds, four ounces. And then our third was a little girl. She was 11 pounds, six ounces. I joke that she is my little turkey because she is the size of a turkey when she was born. Um, so I have no problem going on the record saying, hey, you women are much tougher than us, us men. Can I get an amen? Yeah, amen, right? Um, so Jesus gives us this example. And what I love about his example, it's B-E, before epidurals, right? So this is a big deal, okay? Um, but 
what I love about this analogy is I saw the joy that my wife had when she held each of our kids. And I know the joy that I experienced when I got to hold them, right? Um, I forgot about her pain pretty quick because I was holding this. I know she's still in pain, but you forget about that pain. You have joy. There's life. It's a gift. And so Jesus is letting us know that we will have joy. And what I love about it is that our sorrow doesn't disappear, but it's overcome by the joy that's found in Jesus. He's not saying that your sorrow disappears. It's there, but it's overcome by the joy. It's a gift, right, that God gives us. Jesus says, let us know that we'll have sorrows, but we can expect joy. We will have joy. It's a promise that he gives us. And then he says in verse 22, another promise is that no one will take your joy from you. I think it's so important as we dive into God's word that we're reminded of the promises of who he is and what he's done for us, right? We will have joy and no one will take our joy from us. So the way the world looks at it is if you have joy, your circumstances are good. And if things don't go well, you're in your sorrow. You lose your joy. So you've got to make it back. How do you get back to that spot? Whether it's a relationship or work or financial status, how do I get back to that? And we do some crazy things because we think that will give us joy. There was a um, song that was kind of made popular in the 70s, and then later in the 80s it turned into a rap song. It's called Joy and Pain. I'm going to spare you all the, the words, but the chorus says, Joy and pain are like sunshine and rain. And I say it that those words are so spot on. We will have joy. The world expects us to make our joy, but we all recognize that we'll have sorrow. And the world doesn't have an answer for that sorrow. And I think it's even more so when you look at death. And all of us are going to experience death in some way. Loss of friends, relatives. Um, Back in 2017, I've shared this story before, my dad passed away. And there is still a sorrow, a longing for my dad. And so what I did during that time, I'll be honest, I dove into the Psalms where I could see David saying, God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? How is this good? And yet David would end Psalms with, yet I will praise you. So if I unpack that a bit more, right, if unpacking the loss of my dad, there is some hope that I'll see my dad again in heaven. But as I was talking to Jeff this week, I experienced joy when I was going through that sorrow. And it wasn't hope, there was peace, but there was a joy that arose that was from God. It was such a gift when I was in his presence, especially when I was pouring in the psalm saying, God, this makes no sense. Why? How? And being reminded, yet I will praise you. And a lot of that is my circumstances did change a bit in the fact that I lost my dad. But the world's circumstances didn't change. My possessions, my status, and I recognized that in God's presence, I was reminded of his gift and of having a heavenly father who loved me. He loves us and he pursues us. So as Christians in our Christian faith, our sorrow should push us to find joy in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus says it so clear that we will have sorrows, yet the world will rejoice. And what I love about the Bible is that it lets us know that not only will God keep those promises to overcome the hardships, but Jesus has already overcome those hardships on our behalf. 
when he overcame sin and death and rose again. We have victory in Christ and freedom in Christ. And as a result, that gives us joy. So I want to pivot a little bit in the fact that, so as a church, we've been in the book of Romans for almost a the year. I love the series. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, I loved that we spent so much time in it. And one of the things I loved about it is looking at Paul and the life of Paul. So Paul is credited for writing Romans. He wrote a lot of letters to a lot of the churches. The New Testament is a lot of that's credited to Paul. And what I love about Paul is he openly shared his grief, his sorrow. I mean, he talked about losing loved ones, missing friends, even losing his own freedom when he's in prison. And what I love, though, is Paul basically called all this, he said, being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. Being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. The book of Philippians is really about joy. It's about contentment, but finding joy in all circumstances. And what I love is that Paul acknowledges his pain. He acknowledges the anguish, the sorrow. He doesn't say, oh, life is good, I am, everything's happy. He's honest, and he shares it with us. But part of that is Paul made the choice to trust Jesus, and that all of his losses, all of Paul's losses, would not be the final word. Paul chose to adopt the attitude of joy. Despite his hardships and sorrow, he dug deeper in Jesus to experience his joy. Paul could have thrown in town and said, that's it, I deserve better. You know, I've been a missionary transplant, church planter, I'm done. God, find someone else. Paul could have said, you know, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, I've been whipped, I've been left for dead after being stoned by rocks. God, get someone different, I'm done. But Paul didn't. Paul adopted the attitude of joy. He found his joy in the presence of Jesus. And that allowed him to overcome his sorrow, and the circumstances of the world. It didn't change his circumstances, it overcame them. And Paul persevered. So Paul grew up as a good Jewish boy, meaning he most likely knew the Psalms. I want to share Psalm 16, verse 11. David writes this, he says, You make known to me the path of life. God, in your presence there is a fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I love that it says, in God's presence, there's a fullness of joy. That joy that helps us to persevere. So if we look back in our passage from John 16, right? if we go back to, again, Jesus talking to his disciples, he's giving them the truth, that he is going to allow them to experience his joy. So it was, and that's the part when he says, in, verse six, in, in chapter 16, he says that you'll see me now, and then you won't. And then I'll be back. And when I come back, your joy will be complete. And that's the part of the Advent where we're supposed to long for the return of Jesus to set right his kingdom here on earth. And so until then, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. And I, something else that I have taken for granted is the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us today. That same Holy Spirit gives us God's joy that same Holy Spirit that allows us to adopt the attitude of joy. And that, that Holy Spirit helps us find our joy, not in our circumstances, but in the one who controls all of our circumstances. Jesus tells us that as Christians, our hearts will rejoice and no one will take that joy from you. He says, you'll have trials and tribulations, but we are promised to have joy. And that joy is not from the world. 
the joy that will help us persevere. And it's leading me to my third and final point this morning is joy helps us to persevere despite our circumstances and our sorrow. See, our joy in Christ is a gift. And what I love about Advent is that call for us to reflect, to ponder on what Jesus has done. And for those of us in Christ, what he will do, what he is doing in us now and what he will do in us. So I think often we think about Christmas, we think about Advent, and we think often it stresses us out. We think things should be perfect. We have to have the decorations. Uh, We're supposed to be nothing but joy. We just spent Thanksgiving. We're supposed to be thankful for all the things we have. But if we're honest, this time of year, usually we're tired. We're worn down. Uh, As I talked about my dad, I miss him more this time of year than I do other times. I miss his laugh. I miss his presence. And I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're in a really tough relationship. Maybe there's a situation at work that's really awful. Or maybe you're losing a good relationship, so you're doing everything you can to maintain that. Maybe you're like, if I can just change my situation, and I can get this thing, it will make me happy again. It will give me joy. And I don't think that's the case. Right? So if I, I know I've jumped. We've gone from the shepherds, and we've looked at John, and talked a little bit about Paul. And I want to jump one more time. And I want to go to one of my favorite passages in Hebrews chapter 12. Right, and the reason I want to go there because if I think about those shepherds, right, and then I think about Paul, they all had an opportunity to receive joy. And if I'm going to be really, really honest here, Paul persevered through some really hard times. I don't really want to persevere through the hard times. I want things to be easy. I'm like, hey, God, I want to experience your joy without all the trials and tribulations. And what I love about Christianity is no other religion is like this, is that our Savior Jesus went through it so he can relate to us. No other religion can say that. Every other religion, you have to do enough good, and hopefully it's enough. So if we look in Hebrews chapter 12, I want to set this, I mean, Hebrews 12, I want to set the groundwork in Hebrews 11 first, though, because it this jumped out to me in a way that has never jumped out to me before. So the writer of Hebrews, there's a lot of debate on that, and I'm not going to go on that this morning, but in chapter 11 talks about these men and women, these are heroes who are not perfect, but they had faith. In verse 36, it says this, of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36 to 38, it says this, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering around in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. So Hebrews 11 is talking about these heroes of faith and all the trials and tribulations that they go through. Talk about a lot of sorrow. But they persevere. And it goes on in verse 12, in chapter 12, verses 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, so all these heroes of the faith are our witnesses, our examples, imperfect people who had faith. It goes on, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run the race that is set before us 
And here's the thing I love about verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame and is seated in the right hand of God, the right hand on the throne of God. It goes on in verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Do we hear the promises? We have this example of Jesus who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus chose to put on shame. He was whipped and beaten, spit, mocked, and they hung him naked on a cross. Jesus chose the wrongful treatment because of the hope of the joy that was greater than the cross. The joy of Jesus is our redemption, it's our salvation, and that contributes to God's glory. And what I mean by that is we share the joy with Jesus because of what he did on our behalf by dying on the cross for our sins and overcoming sin and death by raising again from the dead. And as a result, God gets the glory. Like I said just a moment ago, I would love to be listed among those of faith. And I go back to that in Hebrews 11 of all the trials and tribulations. Jesus enduring the cross. I've already admitted that I couldn't do childbirth. I couldn't be pregnant. And yet I have this great fantasy of I would love to be recognized for that. But I don't want to, I wanted to do it the easy way. Or what I think the easy way is. So I fall into this trap of trying to make my own joy or trying to control and change my circumstances instead of saying, God, you have me here for a reason and trusting him in it. And I, and I had some questions that I had thought about. And it's, for me, I really, if I asked us if we want to be joyful, all of us would probably say yes. And then I could say, well, does God want us to be joyful? And I would hope we would say yes. And I think that's the question that I have to work through myself is, do I really believe that God wants me to be full of joy? Or do I want to listen to the world and try to make my own? Do I want to change my circumstances? Do I trust that God's joy will be enough for me? I am so quick to look to the next thing. I mean, think about Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, and we are looking for deals to find the next best thing. And that's why, why God gives us his word. He reminds us of the promises that we will have sorrow, but we will have joy, and a joy that no one can take from us. And what I love in the second half, back in John chapter 16, the second half of that passage, and we went through it and I didn't break it down, but in verse 23 he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, so again, he's saying truly, truly, so we listen. Jesus says, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Another promise from Jesus where he tells us to ask in his Father's name. He wants us to spend time in prayer. And the key here is our prayers are not to change our circumstances. Honestly, Jesus teaches us to pray by asking for God's will to be done. And that's where I get hung up. 
If I want to make my own joy, I'm saying, hey, God, I want my will, not yours. Tim Keller had this to say about prayer. He says, prayer is an important aspect of Christian joy. To pray in the name, in Jesus' name, is to pray with humility and with confidence. He says, you don't owe me anything, Father. So we pray in Jesus' name, which removes us and our works as God doesn't see us based on our works, but what Jesus has done for us. Do we spend time in prayer asking God to change our circumstances or to change our hearts to adopt the attitude of joy, to recognize that God has us where he wants us? God, it's still working on changing my heart to make me more like Jesus, and I have a long way to go. Because God has shown me that I need to grow my faith and trusting that he controls my circumstances that he wants me to be full of joy and that what God has is better than what I have in mind for myself. What God wants is better than what I can imagine. I need to be reminded that nothing in this world will satisfy, that the sorrows and anguish will, will be temporary only compared to the eternity of Jesus. So I pray that the joy of Christ will help us persevere. And really, Christian joy is such a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and his love. It's the adoption of the attitude that we are called to. And prayer is such an important aspect of adopting the attitude of joy. As I was preparing for this message, I was reminded, we as Christians are a new creature. So God has given us a new heart. I still battle the flesh still battle my own desires to do my own thing, to make my own joy. But God has given us a heart where he wants us to be reminded and to be thankful, to think and to ponder what he has done for us, to reflect on his promises, the fact that Jesus left his place in heaven. He came down to earth in the form of a human. Jesus knew that life, what it would be like here on earth. He knew what he was going into, and he chose to do it. He knew that there would be pain and trials and tribulations that he would face. Jesus knew the circumstances, and he still chose to do it to restore our relationship with God the Father. The disciples saw that Jesus was risen from the dead. And you think about that. Jesus said, I will see you, and then I will not. And then you'll see me again. So if you're the disciples, all this, you see Jesus again. They are trying to process it. It doesn't make sense to them. And they have to think and reflect. And that's why this time of Advent is so important because we have to think and recall because we are so easy to forget. The shepherds were given this news and they shared the joy. They didn't have to. They had no reputation. They had no social status. They were nobodies. They were outcasts. Yet they were the first to receive this news of joy and they shared it. May we ask God for opportunities to share the joy that we have received as a gift. May that joy help us to persevere regardless of our circumstances and our sorrow. <clears throat> There's one more thing I want to point out from John chapter 16. And what I, what I want to call out is some language that didn't make sense to me when I first read this. So if we go back to the, the woman given birth, it says, when a woman is given birth... She has sorrow because her hour has come. Her hour has come. Didn't make sense. And again, this is before epidural, so it makes a bit more sense. 
Every time that Jesus used the language, my time has not come, he was saying, it's not my time to die yet. When he says, my hour has come, he was saying, it is now my time to die. So what Jesus is saying by her hour has come. During this time period when a woman gave birth, she was putting her life on the line. To bring a new life into the world could cost a woman her life. And what I love about that is that Jesus did more than just put his life on the line. Jesus gave up his life for us so that we could have a new life could be brought into this world, that we could experience the joy that was set before him. The joy that Jesus set before him that endured the cross is a gift that we can receive. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and this morning we're going to take communion. And I would pray that we would just reflect on the joy that God has given us, that our circumstances may not be easy, may not make sense to us in the light of the world, but we would reflect on what Jesus has done, that we would just capture the fact that he has given us kara, this joy as a gift, as grace. The world around us, it longs for joy. It's so easy for us to think that joy is just made or can be found in having good and happy circumstances. The world doesn't have an answer for our sorrow. So the world turns to things that we think will give us joy, and we are so lost in those things let us down. The relationships, the work, the money, the objects, they break. May we as a church, may we share the joy that we've received as a gift from Jesus Christ. Especially during this time of Advent, may we share the joy that Jesus, that was set before him, allowing the door of the cross. May, may we know and experience that joy as we walk in Jesus and as we worship him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you say that you have given us the gift of joy. And Jesus, if you have made me your joy, that makes you my joy. As a church, may that be our prayer today and as we go forward, that you made us your joy. Let us make you our joy because of what you have done. I pray with confidence and humility that we will experience your, your joy, Jesus, that you have the ultimate joy, that nothing this world will ever satisfy and a joy that can never be taken away. May we seek you in your joy this morning. May we worship you and glorify. May our words be nothing but joy to you, King Jesus. We pray this in your name.